Today's scripture reading comes from, or is, Psalm 16. Uh, Open your Bibles or follow along on the screen behind me. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Ryan Tu, and as Andrew said, I'm the missions minister at First Baptist McKinney, and I've been there for about four years now. I actually got to spend a season of my life working in business in Dallas, and then spent a few years helping drill water wells in West Africa. Uh, Originally from Austin, moved to Dallas. Uh, My wife Sarah and I met when we were kids. We now have two kids of our own, uh, Judah, who's age six, and Hazel, who's age three, and we're in the throes of all those kind of things. I know I got to be with you about a month ago. And I'm so thankful to be back. It's always a privilege to be with a like-minded church who's doing such great gospel work. And I'm excited for where you guys are headed. And as with any Sunday, this is a Lord is Risen Sunday. This is the Lord's Day. This is another Easter Sunday, as every Sunday is celebrated the resurrection. And we're going to be focused on that today. But really, other than all those things I just said, all you need to know is that I, along with so many others leading here, are just broken, fallen, and redeemed by Christ, and today we will exalt him through his word. And so, uh, as you can see on the screen, we'll be at 1 Corinthians 15 today. So if you want to get to the word, you can flip there. It's in the New Testament, the latter half of the book, on the right side of the book, about three-fourths of the way through if you're new to the word of God. But it's summertime, and so my family and I just got to go do a big road trip. Every summer, we go up to Colorado, and we spend some time with my wife's family, uh, there in Estes Park, Colorado, hiking the mountains. But to get there, sometimes we get to fly, and then sometimes we get to drive. And so this year, we, tro- we chose to drive. And that's always an exercise with a six-year-old and a three-year-old. As many of you know, that is a, quite the adventure. There's the messiness of the car that happens on your way. Uh, there's trash that piles up. There are spills that occur. There's always traffic. There are frustrations as a young parent, as an inexperienced parent, and then you start to get tired because it's a 12 to 15 hour drive depending on how you get there, if you make any stops. And then of course we have the gas prices, which just adds to the whole thing. This is a weary, weary week of travel. So the question then becomes on your way, you're thinking, is this really worth it? Is this really what I need to be doing right now? This is a long road ahead. Is this worth the journey? And so my question to you is, are you focused on the weariness of your own journey are you looking to the final destination? Are you looking to where you're headed? Are you, do you think all this hard work is worth it? Well, the context of where we will be today in 1 Corinthians 15 
just to set the stage, actually when I got to be with you a month ago, uh, one month ago, we preached out of Acts 18, looking at Paul planting the church in Corinth. And so now during his third missionary journey, he's writing from Ephesus. There's been a gospel explosion in the area. And this is likely his second letter to the Corinthians, as he says in 1 Corinthians 5.9. He addresses the first letter he has written them. So they've been going back and forth, and he's been trying to address things with this new church, with this church in Corinth amongst a very trying culture. So he starts off with a greeting, and he speaks to the divisions in the church. He speaks to the sin issues in the church, how to deal with those, and how to live out the gospel and grace and unity as a church, and then how the church ought to operate in worship. He has about four or five movements within this, within this letter. Unity, sin, worship, gathering, how to live. And then he ends with this great hope of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so we will specifically be in verses 35 through 49. It's a rather long chapter in the Bible. And so he wants to speak to the complexity of the final resurrection. He wants them to understand how will this happen. And I think us here in 21st century America, we sometimes just accept it. For those of us who grew up in church, we have heard this. We accept it. It makes sense. This is how our minds were formed to think about God, to think about his miraculous works. But to a pagan society, to the Greek culture, to the way that they taught and believed, this is radical. How could this happen? I think some in our society now would have a hard time accepting this, that a dead body could be resurrected and restored. But of course, we've seen the matrix We've seen Star Wars. We've seen numerous and numerous films with messianic figures. 2,000 years ago, they didn't have that. They saw what was right in front of them. They saw person after person buried. No one to come back. No way to think in those radical terms. They had the scriptures of old and the stories that they heard, but this was brand new to them. This is an uphill battle for Paul. Because really, if you think about how crazy it sounds that someone's body could be fully restored and then some, he's combating against the Gnostics of the day, those who are looking for a higher learning, who are looking for knowledge from God. And he's actually battling against Jews, the Sadducees, who taught against the resurrection. And then the Greek thought that a common quote at the time was, the body is a tomb. This is it. Eat, drink, and be merry. They were hedonists. They want to live it up because there may not be anything further. And the Old Testament even really doesn't shed a whole lot of light on the afterlife. There's a lot of confusion or projection towards what the afterlife might be in the Jewish faith. But praise God, there's a greater logic. There's a truer logic. Jesus has revealed this to us. He has shown us this. He has spoken to this. So in our text today, we will see that a true life is a resurrected life. The true life is a resurrected life. We'll see this, that it comes to us by death, that there's a unique time for it. There's a unique person in each of us for it. And we will reflect Christ in our resurrection because a true life is a resurrected life. It's found only in Christ. Some will say that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Another way to say is that he was truly God and truly man. He shows us the truest form of humanity. He shows us who we were built to be. Because in our sin, all has become corrupt. So we get to see what the truest form of life is in a resurrected life. And Jesus shows us that. 
So 1 Corinthians 15, I hope you're there. Starting in verse 35, it reads this. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each of its seed its own body. And for not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for the stars differ from star and glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the man was from earth, a man of dust, the second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven." Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Let's pray. God, before we dive into all that you have before us, I want to pray one more time just that your word would be exalted. Jesus, that you would be exalted, that Holy Spirit, you would move in every word spoken, every word heard, every word chewed on and thought and meditated, God. We see you and understand you more and more fully today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, a true life is a resurrected life, and that life is found only in Christ. And so verses 35 to 37 show us that this life comes through death. Again, Paul addresses this potential questioner, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? And this is his response, you foolish person. This is rhetorical, of course. He's speaking to that someone, not to the Corinthians themselves. But he says, he follows up with, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be. This is a clear argument for a future bodily resurrection. We need to know this truth that I think many of us have heard over the years, but we need to accept it and understand it, that yes, we long for the spiritual, we long for the things of heaven But Christ has come incarnate. He has put on the flesh, and now that's how he is into eternity, in a resurrected form. And we get to join with him in that, because to be human means to have a body. Now, there is also a greater spiritual reality of what we are seeing here, of how one attains true life. Verse 36, You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. You cannot get life until you pass through death. And in Genesis 3, Satan actually uses this and he twists it. He perverts it. He is a liar. And when he tells the woman, when you eat that fruit, surely you will not die. He knows exactly what he's doing. Because he is now taking what he is going to use as his greatest weapon to hang over the head of every sinner the reality of death 
He's telling her this will not happen. But when she takes this bite, as all things do often go back to the first few pages of the Bible, he knows that he will then use this for thousands and thousands and thousands of years as a great punishment to all of our fallenness, to all of our sin, to all of our guilt, all of our shame. And his goal is to ensnare and to entrap someone in their sin and to keep them there until their actual physical death that they will then spend eternity in death. Satan is a liar. But now God has taken what has been construed and broken and twisted And this is now God's doorway to a true life. This is now God's doorway to a resurrection life. So my question to you is, first, have you died with Christ? Can you honestly say that you have faith in Christ, that when you see Jesus and you understand that the life that he lived has now been given to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, that yourself has now died on that cross with him? There's no longer you who live, but Christ in you, as Galatians says. Have you really put on Christ? Have you understood your identity in Christ? Have you died with him? Because in your death that you will find life. Because it is then that you will fully realize that all your sin has been dealt with. And here's the problem. Until we see that full glory that we'll get to here in the text, we need to be wrestling with that sin. We need to be dealing with that sin. So then I challenge you again, I ask you again, have you dealt with your sin now? Yes, there's forgiveness in Jesus, but then he wants to make you more like him. He loves you just where you're at, but he loves you way too much to leave you there. He wants to make you more like him. He wants you to understand the blessing of what it means to live as a Jesus follower, as a Christian. So brothers and sisters, Christians in the room, do you have something that you need to confess first to God, maybe to your spouse, to a friend, to a neighbor, to a family member? And once acknowledged, then we must attack. By the power of the Holy Spirit, deal with the sin. Ask brothers and sisters for help. Help them help you to die more. For more of you to be buried and more of Christ to be raised within you by that power of the Holy Spirit. Because do you know that those who are in Christ Jesus are free? As John 8, 36 says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, they are free. They are free indeed. This is a guarantee. This is a reality that we not always accept. We don't always really rest there. But if you've died with Christ and you have been raised with Christ, Romans 6, 4 says it this way, we are buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Many of us know this as we see every single baptism. Such a beautiful display of the gospel that someone would be buried to their death in sin and raised with Christ in glory. Because this is your new identity. God now uses this ultimate road to redemption and glory, passing through death, then brings us to resurrection. As one comes out of the water, this is our resurrection. And as we read ahead, verse 52 says this, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. This is what's coming. But first, we have to understand that we must die before we see this newness. This Tuesday is 4th of July. And there's a lot of traditions in the States as to what we eat, 
as to what we do. Some are traveling. But this right here, a watermelon seed. Just a kernel. Small. Smaller than my fingertip. It must die in order to bear fruit. That something that small could actually bear something this wonderful. <laughs> this is Tuesday, right? This is many of us on Tuesday enjoying this great fruit. But you have to understand, before you get this, before you get this beauty right here, praise God for watermelon. This little thing right here must pass away. It must break. It must be broken. It must die. And there's something in it that then raises up by God's design. That as it's planted, as it's watered, as Paul and Paulus, Paulus did, it is God who does the growing. This is the new identity. Not this tiny little rock, not this tiny little pebble that you once were, but those who are in Christ Jesus. You turn into a new fruit again. Because take on this new identity. Now this takes time. There is maturity that comes with this. Great oak trees do not grow overnight. Those who cast shade, those wonderful trees that you probably grew up with, that you think of, you can hang a swing in, you can rest under and be cooled by, often take hundreds of years to grow. You know what takes 60 days to grow? The aptly named squash. A fruit that you can simply just throw off the edge and watch it explode, that is weak, and its name says so, takes 60 days. We must be patient with God as he sanctifies us. Because one day it will be fully and completely and eternally realized at the final resurrection. And that will be most of us. If the Lord tarries, we will be buried and we will raise with him. And I will leave it to Arch to tell you the exact day and time of Christ's return in case that comes earlier. That's his new job. Again, a true life is a resurrected life. And that life is found only in Christ. Verses 35 to 37 tell us this life comes through death. Verses 38 through 41 show us there's a unique time for this and there's a unique life in each of us for this. It reads, But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind its seed, its own body, for not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind, and the glory of the, hev- of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So first I want us to see that there is continuity here. But what is for now is for now, and what is for then is for then, meaning... There's continuity between the seed and this watermelon. There's similar, similar elements. They're not separate things that the watermelon comes from something different. Whatever is in this seed, however God has designed that, it produces this. So your body, which is being broken all the day long, there's continuity to what is to come. Verse 38 says this, But God gives it as he has chosen to each its own body. There is continuity. He has given you and he has chosen a time for this. As is told of Esther, for such a time as this. He has chosen you to live in 2023 in McKinney, Texas, in the surrounding areas, 
to be on mission here for such a time as this. For whatever reason, he chose you out of the billions and billions and billions of options that he had, that he has actually manifested throughout history and currently with over 7 billion people in the world. He chose you to be right here and right now. He didn't choose you to live when Jesus was around. He didn't choose you to live 100 years ago. He chose you now to live in the house that you live in, the apartment that you live in, the neighbors that you have, the workplace that you were at, the school students that you live in, the, the hallways you walk in, the children in the, in the lunchrooms that you see. He has chosen you to be there for such a time as this. And there's a time coming that he will give you a new body for that time. But for now, he's given you a physical body to operate, to use to his glory right now. And God designed and gave these in both cases. Verse 39 says this, For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Yesterday, we were unpacking the car from our road trip, and my daughter followed me out. She's three years old. And as I pulled things out of the trunk, I just looked over and she started to cry randomly. I didn't know what was happening. She grabbed her foot. She started wailing. And my son looked down and he said, there's a bee. A bee had stung my daughter in the foot. So we quickly smashed the bee, took her inside and plucked the stinger out from between her toes. She cried and cried. My son took care of her. But I can tell you with confidence that bee is not going to be resurrected. There is a certain kind of Skin. There's a certain kind of design that God has given that be. And there's a totally different design that he's given you. For you are part of the Imago Dei, the image of God. He has an eternal purpose for you. He has an eternal design for you. And it is the power of God that makes this possible. Verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. So as these bodies are buried, the Lord will reform them, and he will put new skin on them. He will put new design on them. There will be something of you that we recognize, but there will be a lot of newness. And by the Lord's power, he can do this with anyone throughout history, for those who are in Christ Jesus, because he will raise those from the dead, yes, who are buried, but also those who were incinerated, those who died in war, those who have drowned. He can do anything by his power, and he will bring all of that into formation. As we will be resurrected, we will be with him for those who are in Christ Jesus. And each has their calling now, and each person their particular, their particular glory then. You have a calling now and a glory to come. And this is all by the genius of God that makes it so wonderful. Verse 41, there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. To give you some context to tie this in a little bit, Daniel 12, verses 2 through 3 reads this. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. He has a purpose for you now. He also has a reward to come. This is part of the resurrection. That yes, when, as it says in verse 41, that star differs from star in glory, that as individual and unique as you are right now, that will be the same into eternity. As many scholars will say, we will have roles in eternity. 
we, the Bible also speaks to us receiving reward. And one of these rewards seems to be actual physical brightness. We see this as Moses comes off the mountain, as he has the shining glory on his face, as Jesus is transfigured in front of the three, Peter, James, and John, that Jesus shows himself truly to be who he is. Because a true life is a resurrected life. A true life is found in Christ. So may we, as Daniel says, shine like the stars because we bring many others to righteousness, because we live on mission, because you go seek those neighbors, those places that he has put you in, those unique things he has in store for you, again, in your schools, in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, this is what he has called you to do. To, yes, worship him, glorify him, live for him. And one of the greatest acts that you can do is to simply share the gospel with your neighbor. To tell them of the love of Christ, to invite them in, to be hospitable as Christ showed us to be. Feed them, break bread with them, bring them to Christ, bring them to the word of God. Because a true life is a resurrected life, and that life is found only in Christ. That life comes through death, that life is unique, and that resurrected life will reflect Christ. Verses 42 through 49 read this, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit but it is not the spiritual body that is first but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven and was the man of dust, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This resurrected life that reflects Christ's This will occur then and again. It occurs now. When I told my parents about the road trip, my dad told me about his road trips as a kid. My dad was born in 1946. He's 75 years old. So he knows the days of road trips before air conditioning. He knows the days of road trips when the roads weren't so great. He knows the days of road trips when he had to change a flat very often. And he said that even coming from Austin to Dallas, it would take sometimes closer to five hours or more the roads were dusty, the, the cars were a bit shakier. You may roll up the window, just avoid the dust, but then you're burning up, so you roll down the window. And he said, man, by the time you got there, it just felt like somebody beat you to death. He said, you were done. You were so hot, you were so sweaty, you were so tired. This was not some luxury road trip by any means at their point. So the bigger deal here is that you look ahead to the destination. That if your resurrected life now that the Holy Spirit living in you now can reflect this now, you look to the destination. You thrive on that hope. You look to the assurance. You look to the author and perfecter of your faith. Because we need it in certain seasons. We desperately need it. Because if you let what beats you down through life, these long journeys, we just feel like you're really being beaten to death by the end of it, We need the hope. 
And this is what's ahead. This is what verses 42 through 44 have to say. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. This needs to be a mighty encouragement to anyone who has experienced physical illness. For our brothers and sisters, our senior brothers and sisters who are aging, there's an imperishable day for you as your bodies show aging in each of your unique ways. For anyone who is experiencing weakness, there's a day when an imperishable body, body is coming for you. For, for anyone who has ever experienced illness, significant illness, or even the minor, if you don't feel so hot today, there's a day coming when you will be imperishable by the grace of God. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, said that those who are weary and worn will one day bask in beauty and glory. There's a perfected day coming, a day when all of this is dealt with, a day that you can have hope as to what you will turn into. And then it says, what is sown in dishonor is raised in glory, meaning you will be sinless. Think about that for a second. Without sin. This is how God sees you. For those who have placed faith in Jesus Christ, where the Holy Spirit has indwelt, God sees you as that perfection, fully forgiven. And what this brings between you and God is ultimate peace. We are 21st century Americans. We are always running. It is hard for us to rest. But this is eternal rest. This is the kind of rest where you know no matter what you do, there's nothing you can do to earn God's love. It is a free gift of grace. Your sin dealt with on the cross, Jesus raised to life, now all of that important to you, and guess what? You are no longer an enemy of God if you have been forgiven by Jesus. And this is peace. This is perfection. This is eternal rest. And as it says, it is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. There's something going to be magnificent that we don't really fully, truly understand about what's to come for us. That we are no longer bound by some of the scientific rules of space and time right now. Because apparently Jesus walks through walls in the New Testament after he is raised to life. Can you imagine what eternity holds throughout God's universe that will be fully perfected, you given that same power in that glory with him? And then it says that this is not a natural body, but a spiritual body. For it was natural and now spiritual. Because it will be fully ennued by the power of God. All three of the above. It will be imperishable, glorified, and powerful. This is the spiritual body. And this is the gospel. That what was imperishable, what was full of sin, what was weak, what was just natural sin, sinful flesh, has now been dealt with at the cross. That for those who place your faith in Jesus Christ, again, you are given perfection, glory, power, a spiritual body to reflect that of Christ. Verses 45 through 48 say this, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. Meaning Adam came from the dust, and then God breathed life in them. 
Then he was spiritual. Verse 47, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. This is Christ, the new Adam. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. That is us. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Are you of heaven? Are you a child of God? Are you welcomed into his family? You're part of the flock. Have you placed faith in Jesus Christ? Because verse 49 says this, For those who are in Christ Jesus, just as we have been born, the image of man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. I once heard it put like this. When you meet Jesus, you are justified, saved from your sin. When you place salvation in Jesus, when you meet him. And then as you grow, as you continue to behold him, you are then sanctified. So we meet him and we are justified. We behold him, we are sanctified. And when we gaze upon him, we will be glorified. There will be a day when you see Jesus face to face in all of his glory, all of his splendor. And because of the love of God, as 1 John 3, 2 says, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. His perfection, his glory, and we will be protected by his love. 1 Corinthians 2, 8 through 10 says this. This is what is to come. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit. There is a day coming when Christ will return. All will be raised. The saints who have fallen asleep, the saints who have died, the saints who are with him, they will come with him. We will be raised up with them. We will be perfected with them and come with Christ as heaven meets earth once again. And so how do we apply this to our lives? As we've talked about, we must die to ourselves. We must defeat our sin by the power of God. We must embrace the new identity that he has given us to fixate on eternity to understand the resurrection, the future that he has for you, the body, the imperishable, the glory that he has for you, that is who he is. He is a benevolent God who loves you, who died for you, who wants to give you a perfect eternity with him. And we must be reminded that this is a great truth because there are dark days for all of us. Some of us are in them. them. Some of us, they are ahead. And if we are fixated on the eternal, on the end destination, this is the encouragement that we need to persevere because we must have hope. And then, with that hope, as we are built up, bound up by the Holy Spirit, the Christ Jesus our Lord, we then get to reflect this to the world. We then get to live this out. On our long road trip, my three-year-old daughter has started to use this phrase, Daddy, why are you not so happy? Why are you not so happy? And she can see the frustration on my face when we're talking about traffic, when I'm griping about the gas, when I'm having to churn out the crumbs and the trash and everything from the back seat. Why are you not so happy? 
But on this family trip, I must look on this journey to, no, I know where we're headed, and I can enjoy this in the moment. Because we can do this. We can enjoy this in the moment. As the Lord sees you, as there, there is a perfected, resurrected body waiting for you, but right now, that is how he sees you. And so the road to glory comes by death. And we die to that sin, and we are made alive in Christ. We are then brought to resurrection because a true life is a resurrected life. And that life is found only in Christ through death, uniquely to you, into eternity, as we will be resurrected to reflect our Christ. And this is how Paul ends the chapter. Verses 54 through 57, he says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the truth of the cup. That your blood was shed for us. That your body was broken for us. And we thank you for what's to come. We praise you for who you are and then what you have done. That there is a resurrection to come. That you have been raised from the dead. That God raised you from the dead. And we will be like you. That we will also be raised from the dead. That we will be in glory with you. Jesus, what a magnificent hope. Would we not lose this hope? Would we carry this hope with us all the days? As it is a long road of life. But you have come to redeem, you have come to save. We ask that, yes, we would die to ourselves, that our sin would be put to death, that what would be raised would be with you by your power, that we'd walk with you, and we'd show others the light as we go. Jesus, we praise you for the resurrection. We look forward to the great resurrection of all things, including ourselves. We praise you. We ask you all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.